0: Here now the scripture lesson for today from 1 Peter, chapter 3, beginning with verse 18. Christ himself suffered on account of sins once and for all, the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous. He did this in order to bring you into the presence of God. Christ was put to death as a human, but made alive by the Spirit And it was by the Spirit that he went to preach to the spirits in prison. In the past, these spirits were disobedient. When God patiently waited during the time of Noah, Noah built an ark in which a few, eight, lives were rescued from water. Baptism is like that. It saves you now not because it removes dirt from your body, but because it is the mark of a good conscience toward God. Your salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at God's right side. Now that he has gone into heaven, he rules over all angels, authorities, and powers. Jesus is the word of God for all people. Thanks be to God. Before beginning this series on the Apostles' Creed, I included on a few emails a request for your questions about the creed. And you asked about why it is that Methodists do not include, when we say our creed, words about the creed being Jesus, Jesus descending into hell. Why, why is it so important to other churches to say that, and why do we do it differently? I understand that question. I understand it quite well. I remember when I went to seminary and had the honor of leading a morning worship service in which we prayed and said the Apostles' Creed. And there I was standing in front of quite a few other United Methodist students, and before I even realized it, maybe because I wasn't looking at the words on the page, I was looking at faces, and, and sometimes you forget what you're going to say when you're looking at faces, and, and it just came out, he descended into hell. As soon as we finished the creed, someone in the room said, what was that? I'd grown up in a church that included those words, he descended into hell, when talking about the death of Jesus at the hands of Pilate, that before the resurrection, Jesus descended into hell. And every now and then, well, every now and then it slips out, just like sometimes when I'm supposed to say trespasses, I say debtors or sins. or just slips out when you get in the habit of doing things a certain way. Why is it that other churches include that line? That after he died, Jesus descended into the place of the dead. Well, for one thing, it comes straight from Scripture. Ephesians 4 9, he descended into the lowest place, the place of the dead. It comes right out of Scripture, including the words we read from 1 Peter 3. And those are the original words that Methodists used back in 1784. Soon after the American Revolutionary War had ended, John Wesley decided that, well, these Americans were never gonna be part of the Church of England. We weren't gonna be part of England in any way, shape, or form. And so he sent to the Christians who called themselves Methodists in this new country, a book of worship, a book for worship that would help them, and it included hymns and psalms and what to do in worship, the prayers you say at Holy Communion, the prayers you say at baptism, the words and prayers you use at the time of a funeral. And and he, he left out the part of his own hymnal that had prayers for the king and the queen, he called it the Sunday Service for the Methodists in North America, and in the Apostles' Creed was this was in this in three different places, in the baptism le- le- lectionary, in the baptism liturgy, where it says, "Do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in His Son Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit?" And he also included it in a morning prayer service, like the one that I led later. And he also included it in an evening prayer service. He wanted people to say the creed, the Apostles' Creed, twice a day, twice a day. And in all three places in this hymnal that he put together for American Methodists, he included those words in the creed about Jesus, that he died and descended into hell. That is our earliest tradition as American Methodists. The thing is, though, there was a second edition of the hymnal, and in the baptism section, they left out that part about descending into hell, and no one knows why. At that time, we had a general conference, a group to make decisions about our theology. And what we have in our hymnal is officially our theology. And so to make a change like that, this publication was changing our theology, official theology, without without permission to do so. We don't know who made that change in the second edition of our original hymnal. They made a change, maybe it was a typesetting error. Maybe somebody just didn't want to say the word hell in church, but they left that out. It was never part of our records and believe me, every other change in the hymnal has been debated and argued about since then. The next change that was made in the hymnal about nine years later was to make a small hymnal that circuit riders could easily carry from place to place. And they assumed that that these circuit rider preachers who traveled all over the place had the Bible, so they didn't put the Psalms in, and they assumed that that they could turn the pages so you didn't have to put the full creed in for the morning prayer and the evening prayer, so they, they shortened They shortened those sections. And the only part of that hymnal that had the Apostles' Creed instead of three times was now the one time that still remained unchanged and left out the part about Jesus descending into hell. And so if you wanna know why other churches say the creed with those words about Jesus descending into hell, well, it's biblical. But also, their original hymnals did not have a second edition where someone, no, so no one knows who, left that out. They've been saying it all along. Back when Southern and Northern Methodists decided to get together in the early 1900s, part of getting together was creating a new hymnal together, including songs that had come up in the South and songs that had been created in the North and, and bringing them all together, and, and at that time, Someone said, you know, other Christians say the Apostles' Creed differently. Maybe we should say it like other Christians have been doing for thousands of years. But you know, well, you do know, if you've ever tried to change the color of a Sunday school classroom or select the color of carpet for a sanctuary, people just don't like change. So they settled on putting both versions in our official official, one of our official books of doctrine, the United Methodist Hymnal, and so now we have both versions there, and worship leaders can pick which one they use. It's in both our hymnals, so officially officially, this is part of our United Methodist understanding of the work of Jesus, that he was born, that he was among us, born of a Virgin Mary, born in a unique, awesome, miraculous way, that he lived among us. He suffered. He suffered out of love for us. He died for us, was buried for us. And. And on that time in which he lay in the grave, perhaps, just perhaps, he didn't just stay there, perhaps he went into another realm and spoke to those who needed to hear the gospel story. Maybe you've heard the story of a woman businessman who had a lot of traveling to do, did a lot of flying, and always took her Bible with her to read while on the airplane, finding it comforting to read the Psalms. passenger seated next to her asked her, what are you reading? Do you really believe the words in that Bible? And she said, yes, yes, I do. Well, what about that guy, that guy that was swallowed by a whale? Do you really believe that? She said, well, I guess, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, I do believe it. It's in the Bible. I believe it. Well, how did he survive in the whale? I don't know. I don't know. I guess, I guess when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. What if he isn't in heaven? He asked sarcastically. Then you can ask him. You know, the one who didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he went the other way, Jonah. Jonah, who originally, who eventually arrives in Nineveh and is the very worst preacher in all of history, walks through the town saying, 40 days and no more, Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days and no more. Nineveh will be overthrown, doesn't tell them what to do, doesn't tell them to repent, or Nineveh will be destroyed. What kind of sermon is that? It's the kind of sermon you preach to someone you really don't want to be saved. It's the kind of sermon that you hope isn't effective because you really want God to destroy The hearers. How does that convince anyone? Forty days more and Nineveh will be destroyed. And yet it does. They repent, they turn from their evil ways, and destruction is withheld. But what about after they die? God didn't destroy them then. But this was before Jesus. How could they be saved through Jesus if they lived before Jesus was born? Do you ever wonder questions like that? I mean, if Jesus was born in a particular time and place, as the Creed tells us, and salvation is through Jesus, what about those who never knew Jesus? What about those who live in places where the gospel is never preached? What about the person who hears about Jesus, but the words are not true? The child who grows up in a war zone and all he knows about those Jesus followers, the Christian, is that there's a Christian nation that bombs them or only knows about this Christian nation, the movies and television shows put out by a Christian nation, because movies like Fifty Shades of Grey and television series like Game of Thrones sure do reveal the love of God, do they not? So important, so important to remember that God's love can speak through the unwilling words of Jonah the prophet, and God can preach and reach out beyond those we would like to show love to. First Peter 3, the words we read speak about God reaching out to those in hell, to those beyond beyond the realm of 11. And, and, and this, this book, First Peter, goes on to say in the next chapter that for this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they have been judged in the flesh, as everyone is judged, they might live in the Spirit as God does. Our best image of God Is Jesus. And his coming in the flesh tells us that God will give up anything, do anything out of love. No wonder Peter argues that between his death on Friday and resurrection on Easter Sunday, Jesus did not lie silently in the grave. There are people who need to know him. There are people who need to know him, that there is no place so distant, so time so far away in which God is not reaching out to people in love, that there is no place you can go in which God is not with you, and you can trust that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is no need to fear evil. Thou art with me. Thou art with me. That God is relentless in love, unfazed by time, space, or death itself. No darkness, no pain, no unraveling of reality that Jesus has not known. No darkness you need fear. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of the beggar, Lazarus, and the rich man. And the rich man finds himself after death in a horrible place and sees father Abraham across the chasm and cries out saying, Have Lazarus dip his finger in the water and send him to me. Even in hell, he still treats Lazarus as a nobody someone only to serve him, not to ask favors of, doesn't direct his request for water to someone as low as Lazarus, but says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus. And Abraham responds, No, in your earthly life you received good things, and poor Lazarus got the short end of the stick. Besides all this, there's a deep chasm between us, a chasm in which you cannot pass from here to over there, the place for those who have sinned. You cannot pass from this part of the dead to the other. No one can cross from your section to ours. It doesn't sound like good news. Except perhaps there is a hint no one can cross from the realm of the unrighteous to the righteous. But what about if someone became sin? What about if someone conquered death? What if someone could cross that gulf between life and death? and overcome hell as victory. That Christ makes captivity itself a captive. That the last enemy, death, would be destroyed. That fear that hell itself could be conquered. Throughout the ages, artists have tried to depict this scene the conquering of hell, Google the harrowing of hell, and you will see some of the the paintings, the paintings that depict this. In many of these paintings, you'll see Jesus reaching out to characters, Jesus reaching out to characters who are there in hell, some clothed, some naked, some some who, who need to hear this good news. Sometimes hell is depicted in ways in the early church, in ways that we don't recognize, like this second picture, this, this picture in which hell looks like a snake, as though evil that once took hold of man is now being overcome. Often you see in the gates of hell, within hell, the character of Adam, as in this picture, and characters like Abraham and Moses. Jesus reaching out to them and them taking the hand of Jesus. I love this picture. At the bottom you see Jesus standing, standing on the wooden doors, having conquered death, having conquered death. The Apostles' Creed, 1 Peter, Ephesians All teach us that Jesus suffered for our sins, was put to death. But while Pilate and others thought that they had stopped this story of this Messiah wannabe Jesus, he could not be stopped. He would not be stopped. Here, Jesus stands on wooden gates like an action hero. Christ kicks down the gates of hell, knocks down the doors of Sheol, and proclaims a message of liberation for everyone who wants to hear. Nothing, nothing can stop Jesus from making a way for those who want to be saved. Oh, nothing reaching into the place of the dead. It's funny they often show pictures of people like Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets. But that's not what first Peter 3 describes. He's saying Jesus is preaching to the people who are around at the time of Noah. And I don't know about you, but I remember those people at the time of Noah, nothing but violence in their hearts, so violent that God wants to start over. God does not want to reach work through these people. There is no future in these people, it seems like, in the story of Noah. And yet that's who's mentioned, who's named in 1 Peter. It sounds sounds as though Jesus is preaching to all of this realm of the dead. (laughs) Jonah might be disappointed that Jesus was preaching to people in Nineveh like you or I might be disappointed if Jesus were somehow speaking to Hitler or Pol Pot. That maybe God cares about people who have nothing but hatred in their hearts. That God cares about people that I don't care about. People like those in Nineveh that Jonah didn't care about I gotta wonder about Jonah. Did he ever come to forgive God? He didn't want to let go of his anger toward God. So angry at God for offering grace to the people of Nineveh for not destroying Nineveh. The Book of Jonah doesn't tell us. Just the question God asks: "Won't you forgive them?" Like I want to forgive them. Won't you forgive them? Like I don't want to forgive them. We don't like it when the color of the carpet changes, when the paint on the wall changes, when the words we say in church changes. And most of all we ourselves don't want to change. And sometimes when you refuse to change, doesn't it get easier? over time. You know you said something wrong. You know you should ask for forgiveness. But you just don't want to. And you pretend like nothing happened. And the longer you hang on to the hurt, the longer you hang on to the pain, the longer... It's easier. Maybe, maybe it's not that the gates of hell are closed. Maybe the gates of hell are busted open, just like in that early Christian art, torn wide open. But it's our hearts that are shut, our hearts that are hard not wanting to change, wanting to stay who we are. As C.S. Lewis surmised, there are only two kinds of people in the world, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. You didn't want it my way. Thy will be done. I have sometimes wondered if there's a heart that turns away from God, rejects God in this life, would that same heart turn to God in the next life, even were the gates open? Maddie Rigsby is a grandmama in Clyde Edgerton's hilarious novel, Walking Across Egypt. She reads the parable of the sheep and the goats and decides she doesn't know any people that Jesus would have been friends with. She reads about Jesus saying that when you visit a prisoner, you visit me, and decides she's going to visit Jesus. And she goes to the juvenile delinquent center and visits again and again. When one of the inmates escapes and shows up at her home, She does not report it, and he stays with her for a week. When her kids come to visit for Sunday lunch and they meet this juvenile delinquent, they are concerned. And Robert, Robert, after lunch, leads her in the kitchen and says, Mama, have you been feeling all right? Well, I feel fine. Why? I just feel bad about that boy him having to go back to the detention center and all. I feel sorry for him. Well, that boy doesn't feel sorry for you. How do you know? Well, he's a thief, a criminal, a juvenile delinquent. That's the best place for him to go back. But he's never going to have a chance to hear the gospel. He's got as good a chance as anybody. Mama, they probably got Gideon Bibles all over the juvenile detention center. Nobody ever loved him. If they did, he'd probably steal their car. The Gospel of Matthew says, Mama, I know what Matthew says. No, you don't. You haven't been to church in a long time. Yes, I do. I listened to what Matthew said for 23 years. Well, you don't know what I heard in the Gospel of Matthew. Whatso you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you do unto me this young boy he's one of the least of these my brethren mama you already done for him you already done i don't know what you done too much doesn't the bible say when to stop no not that i know of not that i know of and when the creeds first peter in Ephesians say Jesus descended into hell, into the place of the dead. Maybe when we say those creeds that's what we're saying. It's love. It's love. It's love and Jesus doesn't know when to stop loving. And maybe that's what Jesus, says to you and me it's love it's love don't ever stop carrying my love let us pray we believe in jesus christ his only son our lord conceived by the holy spirit born of the virgin mary suffered under Pilate, was crucified dead, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, rose again, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of God the Father. Because of love. Because of love. Nothing can separate us from your love. May we carry that love in us. Amen.